Hi, I'm Nikki Miller, Kessler Foundation Social Media Specialist and your host. We continue our Voices of the ADA Generation podcast series with our guest, Anne-Marie Vieira. This podcast relates to the 2020 Kessler Foundation National Employment and Disability Survey, Recent College Graduates. The survey revealed findings about college students with disabilities and dispelled long-held myths about people with disabilities and higher education. In some cases throughout the years, people with disabilities were told they shouldn't further their education, and in other instances, they were discouraged from working. Here's a survey that dismissed these ideas. People with disabilities are conquering barriers and broadening their education. Emery Vieira, you're one of those people, and we wanted to hear from you about your college to work experience. I want to start off by saying welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your educational background? I'm currently a certified rehabilitation counselor, and I serve as the coordinator for the Office of Disability Services at the School of Visual Arts. I studied undergraduate um, at Fairfield University in Fairfield, Connecticut, with a major in English and creative writing, a minor in psychology. And for my master's, I completed my master's in counseling at Hunter College with a focus in rehabilitation. I saw briefly through our emails, I saw professor on that. You're right, actually. That's a new adjustment. So I am currently now an adjunct professor with Hunter College within the counseling department. And I'm currently teaching um, a core counseling foundations course there. So it's been a very long adventure (laughs) to get to that point. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Do you mind touching briefly on your disability? I've been diagnosed with um, cerebral palsy. My manifestation of cerebral palsy is spastic diplegia, so that means I have increased muscle tone primarily in the lower parts of my legs, within my legs actually, I should say. So it does affect other parts of my body with some forms of weakness like in my trunk and within my arms if I overexert, but mostly I just have difficulty walking around and ambulating long distances. I wanted to start off by asking you about your college experience. How do you view your decision to go to college? To answer your question, when it comes to my college decision, it was really based on a few factors. Primarily, it was financially based. My family is a middle class family. So the planning to go to college was primarily through loans. So I was really trying to make the most educated decision um, financially for myself. And then also the factors of having a disability And the distance from my support system was also another major factor. So although my um, physiatrist wanted me to go out to the West Coast because people with disabilities, especially cerebral palsy with spastic um, aspects, do a lot better in heat. She was like, you should really like think about going to college out West. It would be better for your health overall. And I was like, that would be super cool. My parents were not very comfortable with the idea of me being 3,000 miles away. So that was uh, shelved very quickly. And instead, I determined to stay kind of local. So I applied locally to SUNY, CUNY schools, private schools, and eventually kind of settled on four major choices. Um, It was Stony Brook, Pace, Fordham, and Fairfield. Um, So they all provided these major aspects. So they did provide financial aid, which was a huge factor. They did provide ultimately like 
disability services, especially for the residential aspect. I desperately wanted to see what it was like to live on my own and figure out how am I going to negotiate that as an adult. Um, It was my first time to really long-term leave home and have to kind of survive on my own. So I really wanted to be in a place that I could try to do that. And all of those schools in relationship to me, we're a couple hours away. So I had my distance and I could live my life and my family wasn't, you know, butting in every five minutes, like checking in, but they were also able to be there if there was an emergency, which freshman year there actually was, and it did pay off. And then it also came down to what each school could accommodate. So it, was, it wasn't it was just beyond the classroom accommodations. That piece is kind of self-explanatory. For me, it was the residential accommodations. What am I going to do if I need to get around campus and there's no access to a shuttle? You know, how am I going to navigate the physical campus up and down? So going on those school tours were vital in trying to figure out, like, is this a viable place? And then ultimately, the one school that checked all those boxes was Fairfield. So I went there. You ultimately came to a decision basically checking all of those boxes that you had. Yeah. Were your parents or family members supportive of your decision to attend? They were definitely supportive. They figured college was in the cards for me because as a kid, I really wanted to, and this goes back to what we found out within the survey, many people with disabilities want to be in a service kind of position and serve you know, others in the community. I wanted to become a doctor when I was a kid. I, Makes sense because that was I was around that most of the time, so college wasn't a natural step towards that goal. So we knew that that was the case. My family was always supportive, but they were definitely they had their hesitations. They really didn't know, you know, where the where the bar was. You know, they were never really pushed. They weren't. Um, I wouldn't say that they were deterred in any way from anyone within, you know, the medical profession or the school with support saying, well, she can't do this. But no one was exactly saying she could do this either. So it was kind of just all like this, this weird murky little fog that we all kind of had to go through together. And there are some hesitations as a parent with a child that has some difficulties moving around doing all of these things, I think. While in college, what was the biggest barrier you faced and overcame? Ooh, that's a good question. The biggest barrier, believe it or not, was the physical campus. So even though the campus was fairly accessible for the most part, and this was early on in my career, so this is, you know, 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. The campus was accessible only for a certain period of time because the school at the time did not have the shuttle run 24-7 or a majority of the day. They only had it between certain working hours. So if you're on the north side of campus and you have class on the south side of campus, you needed to walk. And that was a physical barrier. That was a real challenge. Even though I had a scooter, I kind of felt very self-conscious about using it in public. (laughs) So I wouldn't use it. And then as a result, like... Most people gain 15 pounds their freshman year. I lost like 30 pounds because I was just walking so much all of the time because of my schedule. And it ultimately came back to kind of bite me in the butt a little bit because I ended up becoming so exhausted and trying to push myself beyond my limits that I ended up actually slipping and falling and having an accident where I had to go to the hospital. It was the whole thing. It was like, 911 was called and an ambulance was called and I was being carted away publicly and it was just like oh my god and you're you know 19 and you're trying to figure out what's going on and 
you're like, oh my God, and this is embarrassing. And I have a calculus test and I have bio lab this evening. Like, how am I going to be able to do these things? And they're like, hold on, stop. We're going to get you through today. And then we're going to renegotiate as to what's going to happen going forward. And the first thing that the school did was the area where I fell. Thankfully, I wasn't the only person that fell that day. I think like five or six other students literally within hours of me, like I was still in the ER and other like other students were coming in, falling in the same area. So the first thing the school did was they fixed that broken area of the sidewalk and made sure going forward, all of the paved areas were better maintained. The school over the course of my four years extended the school shuttle schedule because they saw the benefit not only for myself, but for the overall safety of all students on campus. So it really was a safety concern for everybody, which was a benefit for me. And they just overall made things much more accessible, just physically. It's just those little physical details that made getting through the four years worth it overall. Wow, that's quite a story. Freshman year. You mentioned that disability services were part of your checklist while you were um, you were applying. What was your opinion of college career and disability services at your school? That's a great question. When it came to, and I'll do it in two parts, when it came to disability services, I picked Fairfield also for the size, right? So it was about a 5,000 person campus at the time. It's grown a little bit since then. But overall, it's a 5,000 person campus, which meant when I spoke with the counseling professional within that office, I really wanted to understand the um, student to professor ratio and then understand that I wasn't just a number or a cog in a machine. I was a person and that I had my needs when it came to my accommodations. And this is how I fostered that supportive educational relationship. And that was a huge point in making that decision. And if I didn't have that guidance from my counselor, Amy, at the time, I don't think I would have been comfortable staying in college after that accident. And I remember feeling that first year, like, I don't know if I can do this. But it was that fostering of that relationship, that office stepped in with the freshman dean at the time, and said, okay, clearly something's not working. And there was a huge panel. It was myself, my parents, my advisor, everybody. And they were like, okay, how can we make this better for you? And I was like, can we drop my 8 a.m. classes? Like, can I take it a different time? Because it's just too much. And they were like, yep, we can make that accommodation. What else do you need? And it's them opening that door of saying, what else can we do to help you succeed was huge. At that point, the end of my freshman year, I changed from wanting to be a bio major because I was doing horribly in bio. I loved bio. I loved chem, but I was doing horribly. Like I was getting C's coming from being in high school and getting A's and A pluses to being a C student is uh, jarring a little bit to your confidence. So, you know, I went to career services because I'm like, I've never not seen myself as a doctor. What do I do now? And one of my counselors there was like, here, like, let's take an inventory or two and kind of see where your values are. I was like, okay. And it seemed a little hokey at the time, but like you go back and I actually still have, (laughs) I have the results. I actually fell more into the line of being a teacher or, you know, working in education, surprise, surprise, or working in like a counseling or social work based field where I could still do some of the uh, medical technical aspects, but overall, be more there for human support. So that kind of drove my decision to change fields 
at the end of freshman year into sophomore year from going bio to being an English major and be- wanting to become a teacher and work in publishing. So that was like that original foundation for that. I mean, it's really nice to know how flexible they were with your needs. Sometimes people don't understand that everybody studies at a different pace. Um, Not all the, not everybody is structured. Mm -hmm. So it's good to know that they were so flexible with your needs. You're a professor yourself. Mm -hmm. You've used disability services. How do you think um, colleges can improve their services in any way? I think the best way for a college to improve their services is to be more personable. And I think um, my time at Fairfields, my time at Hunter, my time as a coordinator, the biggest aspect is the attitudinal barriers we carry with ourselves. So when you have to go and ask for help, I think for anybody that can be very um, jarring to what you expect for yourself. I think if those offices really look at those students as students and as people and as people within like their own lives, they're going through their own situations outside of school, or they may be dealing with health situations. Just having a, an actual relationship, a personable relationship and saying, okay, what are your needs? What's your expectations? But then also what's your program maybe expecting of you? I think that's really important for any office to know and just to not be like, okay, well, here's the cookie cutter, you know, X you know, expectation of accommodations where I've had students come to me working at SVA. They're like, this is my accommodations package, but it didn't really make sense. And I would go through the paperwork and I'm like, these don't make sense for you. Did you use any of these? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, well, clearly let's start from scratch. Like going through those basic things and asking the basic basic question of what do you need? And then also laying out the expectation as well for your institution what can we provide? Because not all schools are going to have the same resources and that's going to vary public to private. So that student needs to be aware there are certain things that that institution won't be able to do and how can you meet them in the middle? I think that's the most important thing. Emery, you mentioned expectations. Mm -hmm. What were your expectations about college and how did that compare to the reality? My expectations for college, I think were pretty textbook for most young people at my age back in 2008. That's 12 years ago now. You know, you go to school, you major in something, hopefully you gain some skills. Hopefully you're pretty good at it, right? And then you hopefully get into some basic job to get you where you want to eventually go. I kind of was, you know, young in that I knew you need to have, you can, you have to walk before you can run, right? And before you walk, you have to crawl. So you can't go and become a top editor at a publisher if you don't become, you know, a copy editor prior to that or an assistant to somebody. So knowing those expectations of where you're supposed to go kind of help that situation. And I was always hoping, like, I never took disability into the equation. It was like, okay, like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to train and do this, and hopefully get a basic entry-level job and prove myself and work my way up the chain. And while I'm doing that simultaneously, like, going back to get, like, some type of advanced degree so I can teach more steadily at a higher education level, because I know tenure is a thing in order to do that. Most places want you to have a doctorate and all that stuff. How it actually came out in the wash in real life was polar opposite. I never saw my disability as something that was going to be a barrier or hindrance. I don't think I was fully aware of people's attitudes towards persons with disabilities at the time until I was actually out and experiencing it. 
And when you are 22 and that January of your senior year, you're applying to job after job after job and you're not getting anywhere. And then you graduate and you go through that like six month grace period before you have to pay a loan payment and you're still not finding a job. And I think I put in somewhere like over 300 applications in the course of those nine months from the beginning of 2012 to fall of 2012. And of that, I got maybe 10 actual interviews with people. And then of those 10 interviews, I got one job offer. And that job offer was completely not related to my degree. It was completely just a job to make a paycheck to make a loan payment. It wasn't really anything to work towards. I was working in retail. It wasn't where I wanted to be, but I was like, okay, if this is what I could get, sure. But then as the time kind of ticked away and there's no progress within that company, and then you're also struggling to make the jump from one job to another because people are not willing to take a chance or they're saying to you, you're not trained well enough or you don't have enough experience. It could be incredibly frustrating overall. When I sent out 300 resumes, I was not disclosing my disability. And a lot of that was because I wanted it to be on my merit of my work. So I sent out those resumes to not disclose that information because I didn't really feel like it was going to impact me in the job I was applying for. As a person with a disability, did you ever feel limited in your college experience? I think for me, that was more truthfully like internalized ableism to be really honest I think for me my colleagues at Fairfield and at Hunter always invited me to do things and trying to pursue whatever passions that I wanted to and there was always something that was like an internal anxiety of like I might not be good enough or my disability might get in the way of this so I rather not try and make a fool of myself so I'll just shy away from that opportunity Or just saying, like, I don't think I can totally see myself doing that. Let me not put myself in an uncomfortable situation. I never felt like I was kept out of the loop or discriminated against in the educational setting, but definitely in the work setting, I've had some adverse experiences when it came to discrimination. You mentioned such a positive atmosphere at college. Were you ever at all discriminated during your educational career or were you ever discouraged from pursuing an education? I remember distinctly the one time maybe in education where I was kind of like discriminated against and I can't really call it that. I think it was, I call that more a reality check was when I was failing. I barely got out of bio. I barely got out of chemistry. I was in organic chemistry and I was failing. And my advisor for pre-med was like, I don't see how you can become a doctor with these grades. And it was like, okay, that's a reality check, right? So that's honesty. I'm not saying that he had any, he may have, he may have had internal biases about, you know, my physical ability to handle the rigors of going to medical school. It was definitely something that had come up in conversation. It was something that I had often thought about, you know, our our school had a great pre-med program where we had alumni come back and talk about their experiences. So they really wanted you to be aware of like what you're walking yourself into. Um, So that was the only time I would say I was educationally discouraged from pursuing something. Um, But for me, that was a really, really a reality check. It was more in the post-college world where I was like, okay, this is what discrimination feels like. Awesome. But I can't, disability discrimination in the workplace is so hard to prove 
um, in such a gray area, depending on who you speak to and the certain situations, that it's just like, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to, to suss out if that's what's really going on or if it's just policy or if it's the mechanism to which you're working in that fosters that belief in that policy going forward recently interviewed one of my colleagues and her story was very similar to yours where she felt discriminated about a counselor testing her ability to study and move on and further her education. And it sounded very similar to your story. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. Overall, what did you like about your college experience? I think overall, all of it positive and negative that that accident and some other you know social things included I think overall the one thing I took away was that I needed to do it I think if I can you know promote any one idea is that let it let a student try you know let them try in some manifestation you know if they want to go to college and you're not sure or they're not sure that they're 100 percent ready for that full immersive experience of going off and moving out and and having to self care and self-regulate, fine. Tack that back then. Maybe have them do classes online, have them do classes from home, um, or go to a, a smaller institution where they could commute and then have some place to be at home. I think that was an invaluable experience overall for the four years that is something I'll treasure forever was just the opportunity to do it. And I think if we can support other people to try to just try opportunities, it's okay to fail. Um, failing is good. It gives you data so that you could self, you know, adjust course and, and go for, you know, whatever you're aiming for. But I think everyone should be given that opportunity in some version, even if it's not how I lived my experience. Yeah, I like that you said failure is good because sometimes you have to fail. You have to pick yourself up, mm -hmm. dust yourself off, and keep moving. Absolutely. I think there's, especially in, in our American culture, like there's a constant push to be successful and that an only way to be successful is you must be perfect all the time or you must do everything a specific certain way. And like for people with disabilities, we're not going to be able to do it the atypical type of way, or we might be able to do it 80 to 90%, but then that last 10%, we're going to have to adjust and do something else to make that viable. So I think that that's very important to kind of get the public to understand as well. Let's talk about post-college, after graduation. What was your experience like after graduating and entering the workforce? Or if you wanted to share what it was like looking for a job too as well. Let's break that down into pieces. So the job searching portion to kind of connect it, the career center at the university, both times, both at Fairfield and Hunter were very strong and like, these are the things you need to have. They would, you know, offer workshops for resumes and cover letters, and then departments would offer their own services. So as a student, I did take advantage of that. So I, I wasn't completely like, I've never applied for a job before. I don't know how to do this. And I think having that as a foundation is a great way to start. I think going into that spring of that senior year and then post-college was just really tough because it's also too like when you graduate also impacts how you get employed. I graduated at the in the height of a recession. So the job offers were not 
as viable in general for anyone, but especially for a person with a disability, I think adds an extra layer. Um, it was very tough. I, I got to be honest, it was really a tough situation because even though I was on paper doing the right things, you know, applying to companies that were interlocked with my university that, you know, had working relationships, I wasn't getting anywhere. So, you know, I was using all methods to kind of find a job, you know, word of mouth friends, family members. I eventually got on the radar of like a temp agency that was somewhat local. So I was super excited because I was like, okay, like not a bad thing. Gives you some versatility, right? You don't know exactly what you want to do. I had graduated and wanted to do a master's degree right away and couldn't afford it. So I was like, let's be logical here. Save some money, pay off some debt, go back to school. Everyone else can do it. I can do it too. But (laughs) there was a hink in that chain because finding an employer that was willing to take me on was a challenge. So at the time, I didn't know my rights. So if you don't know your rights as a person with a disability, you do not need to disclose that. And the early um, conversations that you have with a possible employer with an interview, and those are some key mistakes I had made. And I was just being honest, right? Like a temp is like, do you have access to a car? No, I don't. Are there any issues that could keep you from doing this type of job? And it's like, well, I have a disability, so I can do the job. I would just just have to do that particular thing a specific way. And then slowly over time, like I would get less calls from that temp agency. I never got placed with that agency. And then eventually was just desperate because I was like, okay, I owe money. How am I going to pay this? My family can't afford to pay it. So someone's got to pay it. Um, I ended up applying to a bunch of local places within my area and eventually got hired by a big box store. But that was only because the hiring manager there at the time was a veteran. So he, I think, self-identified a little bit with me and could understand like what it's like to come back or lose some function with something and still be able to give your all and be able to participate and give something to somebody if you're given the chance. And he gave me that chance. And I will forever be eternally grateful to him for giving me that opportunity. It helped me survive for six and a half years. But at the same time, it was definitely a challenge because retail is not the most friendly for a person with a physical disability. There are certain expectations that are expected of you that I couldn't do, like getting on ladders and pulling down products and being able to do those things and physically lift certain things. Like I just couldn't do it. So the job did try to work with me as much as they could. They kept me, you know, primarily as a cashier or working customer service eventually. But over time, it was physically becoming deteriorative on my body. Like my joints were having issues. I was having a lot of back pain. I was having a lot of edema and I was really just uncomfortable. And it's very frustrating when you're applying for jobs. You're actually at that point getting help through, you know, state vocational programs like Access VR. And I was trying to find other work and I wasn't getting anywhere. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be stuck doing this forever. And there's no options here because at that point, you know, I was in there four years and I trained a person who came on after me who became my supervisor. And they were younger than me, offered the full time supervising position with health insurance on the. I was just like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, 
I've been doing what was that about? I can't tell you. And it makes me wonder if I was being discriminated against in that respect. And I don't know if it's both a blessing in disguise and also just discrimination because it gave me some experience with that. Yes. But I also think, too, some of the staff didn't want me to be stuck there. And I remember one of the managers there and retail's tricky because retail flips over so many supervisors at so many times. You always have to feel like you have to prove something to the new crop of people walking in. You have to show your worth to keep them, you know, keep yourself around. And I remember him saying, look, he's like, I know you can do the job, but he's like, I don't want you stuck here. I don't want you stuck with this company for the rest of your life. Like you are so much more than this job. And I was like, oh, my heart, like to hear somebody say like, you're so much more than what you're able to do, like go do it. Then I was like, all right. At that point, Access VR had given me a new counselor and he was very gung-ho of like, let's get you, you know, on the road to where you need to be. And it was through that process in 2016 where I was like, you know what, let's do it. I wanted to work in what I'm currently doing right now. That was the goal. And even though my Access counselor was like, but I could see you doing Access work. And I'm like, that's great. I could consider it. But like, I really want to do this. And he was like, all right, we'll get there when we get there, but let's get you into a program first. I was like, that part's easy. I got that part. Education I could do, classroom work I could do. And he was a little hesitant too, because Hunter is a very solid program, but it's also very competitive. And he's like, I don't know if you're going to be able to get into this school. He wanted to send me to SUNY Buffalo. I'll never forget that. I was like, in my head, I'm like, my support system is in the lower part of New York. Why are we going to make me move nine hours away with more harsher conditions? Um, I can literally commute from home. We wouldn't have to worry about paying residential fees. Like, let's make this work. I ended up meeting Dr. Cardozo through a phone call just to get more information about the program. And she was like, yeah, you should really apply. Like, you seem like you would be a good fit. And I was like, cool. Like, let me do that. Cut to like 2016 fall. I'm, I'm walking into Hunter for the first time for class. So it's just been a it's been a challenge of identifying these things as you're training and learning about discrimination and about the job barriers and then actually seeing it play out in your own life is pretty weird, I have to say. After graduation, when you got your bachelor's, you didn't go directly into a field. You worked um, in retail. Yeah, I did. And I actually had a job gap solid for so June, I graduated May, June. I didn't get a job until October. So I went, what, maybe five, six months without a job, which for me is very, I'm not used to that. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. That's half of a year. Yeah. That's a long time. So after your retail job, that inspired you to go back to school and further your education? Yeah. And I think also, too, going back to what you said about a fellow colleague that you've met with that was kind of discouraged. Prior to my access counselor being switched, I was enlisted into the care of a vocational counseling specialist, not actually a counselor per se, but somebody that could get you like kind of supported employment or help you with um, employment searches. And I'll never forget, I was meeting with her after work one afternoon and she she was like give me your resume let me see what you know you have 
I gave her my resume and I went from working four years in college, working on campus as a librarian, working on the college newspaper and getting paid for that, you know, having publishing experience in that and having that internship in publishing with the school's, you know, literary journal. So I did have experience, granted not a lot, but a little bit. I'll never forget her saying to me point blank in a cafe in public, you wasted four years of your life. Um, on your degree. You're smarter than this. You should have majored in something different. It's hard to choke back tears in public, let me tell you, but you kind of just have to sit there. And I was like, that honestly, that experience was the switch of like, you know what? I can do a better job at this than you can. And this is kind of my way to show you that I can do this better and that there's a better way to handle this. So that was really kind of my catalyst to like pursue this career that I'm in now currently. How did that experience affect where you are today as a counselor, as a professor? How does that affect how you treat people? I think it showed me that as much as you want to do your job and your job may be about numbers and retention and being honest and being forthcoming and being realistic about like a person's functional expectations given their diagnosis, all those things considered, that person's a human being. There's a lot of things going on under the hood of their proverbial car, you know, of their life. So you need to be a little bit aware of that. Not saying you need to, as anybody would need to get too involved in their personal life, but you need to be mindful of it. And I think now going with every single student I've worked with, both as a professor and as a coordinator, and I've heard it back from my students a few times where they're like, you're just honest, but you're honest in the way that it's respectful and that you're being realistic. You're not, you know, trying to harpoon anybody's dreams or discourage anybody, but you're trying to be realistic with their expectation. And I think a lot of students appreciate that versus having to learn that the hard way, right? When you get out of college and you can't find a job or you're stuck in a dead-end job that you can't get out of. And I think even as a professor, like I've told my students, I will work with you, but you have to communicate that you need help. I'm like, you don't need to disclose everything. You don't need to tell me your, you know, your life story or what's going on, but just say, look, I need help and I'm willing to work with you. And that's, I think pe- meeting people where they're at is the most vital part of working in, in the service sector of life. You have, you know, all these different titles, um, all these different degrees, but there was nothing easy about your journey. You definitely had quite a journey getting to where you are today. Is there anything that you want to share about your job today that makes it all worth it? I think it's just, okay, it sounds cheesy, but here's the truth. Every day riding in on Metro North going into Manhattan, if you've ever heard Alicia Keys' New York, that is literally like my morning every morning because the idea of going into that big city it's not 100% accessible by any means. It's got a lot of work to do. To know that I can navigate that, I can do my job, I'm good at my job, and that despite having the physical barriers of our society, that I go in and I do my job every day, and my job has actively said thank you. It's not like, oh, good job. Like I've gotten letters from colleagues saying, like, we appreciate you. We, we appreciate the work you do. Has made this crazy journey all worth it. You know, all the ups and the downs, the trials and the struggles to be able to go and to give back to another student 
an artist that's just starting out their journey as a person with a disability and try to figure out how does that work into everything else and just to be there as a support and have a student say thank you at the end of the year, all worth it. Emery, there's nothing cheesy about that answer at all. Knowing that you're appreciated can definitely motivate you to keep going. So I'd certainly understand that. Oh, thank you. How do you think the workforce can improve what they do to assist people with disabilities? Honestly, I've seen it pop up on on Twitter, on disability Twitter um, as well. And it's learning to be more accommodating to persons with disabilities, especially like any physical or health related issues given the current pandemic. I think employers really need to analyze how they conduct work. If you can work from home safely and effectively, I think that we're seeing it's a possibility for people. And that's just everybody in general. But especially for a person with a disability where they may not have access to a means of transportation that's reliable or anything like that, to be able to say, you know what, you can work from home and you can still work from home and make the same wages you would if you were working in an office makes a huge difference. And I think as a society, we need to start analyzing the importance of work, how we conduct that work, and also that idea of work-life balance that, you know, maybe we don't need to be working 40-hour work weeks. Maybe if that person does need to take a day off in between or if they need to be flexible because they have medical needs, you know, appointments or therapies and things like that, we need to be mindful and make that as a part of an accommodation that's not like you have to go through a whole process and disclose. What if we just made that normal for everyone and made that easily accessible? I think everybody's work-life balance and work satisfaction will probably improve, I would say. I wanted to touch a little bit on our recent college graduate survey. Sure. So my question is, you know, what survey findings were most meaningful for you? The main survey finding, and I actually highlighted it because I'm such a nerd and I'm going to it right now, is towards the end when it talked about employment post-grad. The final section of the survey where it said, Recent graduates with disabilities were less likely than recent graduates without disabilities to work in a job related in their fields or um, related to their college degree or hold a regular permanent position. And I'm just paraphrasing here, worked fewer hours per week, earned lower wages, and worked less satisfied with elements of their current jobs. For me, hearing that in black and white, based on research, I kind of felt like validated in that moment where it was like, and I think I even mentioned this in the panel where I was like, oh my God, it wasn't just me. Um, Other people are feeling these things and experiencing these things too. And I'm not just some weird outlier because I maybe made a mistake at some point in in my trajectory of my life. Um, Seeing that this was a common thing people with disabilities were experiencing, including that they were with employers that were assuming that they couldn't do a job were being offered less pay and others had similar job or negative attitudes on parts of employers. I was like, okay, it's not just me. So how do we rectify this? And I think hearing that and seeing the numbers on that with Kessler's study was a huge moment for me because I was like, okay, I'm okay. You know, at at the end of the day, everything I did, I'm okay. Like I didn't make a mistake necessarily. Um, I'm just trying to live my life. 
For me, that was a huge moment. (laughs) What survey findings were most surprising to you, if there were any? So it doesn't say this in the study per se. Like the study doesn't point to this as being an absolute magic bullet with regards to a process to get a person with a disability employed. But the fact that the survey shined a light to show kind of some basic process of if a student has a major, is hooked in with a mentor within that major, used their college services, which included disability services and career services, had internship experiences that was related to what they wanted to do, and then was able to work during college to establish that baseline of being able to work, overall, people were likely to be employed, which is just kind of, they can't say a a direct relationship, but there's definitely a correlation to having those things in place. um, Shows that could definitely be a systematic situation where colleges and universities can set that up so that those students, especially with disabilities, can be employed. Hunter does a really great job with that with the the CUNY Leads program. So just to plug that a little bit, um, CUNY Leads is a a department within slash attached with disability services. So as a student with a disability goes through whatever program they're obtaining at Hunter, whether it be an undergraduate or graduate degree, they can reach out to CUNY Leads to provide that extra support with regards to disability services and then applying for a job, how to access accommodations in a job place environment, do the, do the really heavy lifting of understanding what that process is like for a person with a disability. And they do have partnerships with certain employers and certain um companies and governmental agencies to kind of connect people to necessary services. Huge, huge step for people. So I think that was a huge kind of grounding force as well. What advice would you give to a young adult with a disability considering their future? I would say don't count yourself out. At least try, you know, at least try whatever you plan on pursuing, try it. If you end up not making the mark you want to make and hitting a goal, that's okay. But really kind of self-analyze and try. Analyze your experience. Think about how that made you feel, what you ultimately want out of your life too, and kind of get to know yourself a little bit. Do some personal like internal searching and really figure out what you value in your life experience that you want to have for a life as an adult and try to make Whatever you plan to pursue, kind of fall in line with that alignment. If you can do that, you'll have the best of both worlds. So that's what I would recommend any young person. Take some time to really think about it. And it's okay to fail if you don't make your mark the first time. Maybe there's just a different way of doing something. I'm just curious to know, um, you've had quite an experience throughout your career, your college to work career. What would you say to your younger self? I would say to my younger self, especially like my 22-year-old self, would be to hold on to the confidence I had walking out of college. Because when I walked out of college, I'll never forget graduation day. I was I was on top of the world. I was like, I did that thing where I like left home for the first time, lived on my own, had my own apartment, a job. I did amazing. Like I can do this. I would say to any young person, 
hang on to those positive experiences, especially to myself and self-counseling now. So hang on to those positive experiences. Remind yourself that you have the power to do something if you want to and that you just have to recognize that there may be a different way to get there. It's not going to be the same as the average person that you meet on the street. And that is okay. That is okay. Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your story. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Likewise, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. For anyone who's interested in learning about the survey and watching the latest webinar that reveals findings from our survey, go check out our website at kesselfoundation.org slash kfsurvey2020. Tuned into our podcast series lately? Join our listeners in 90 countries who enjoy learning about the work of Kessler Foundation. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was recorded on Wednesday, August 19th, 2020 remotely and was edited and produced by Joan Banksmith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation.